Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hej och välkomna till Vinplatorna. Idag har vi ett litet specialavsnitt. Vi har en till amerikan här, Jimmy Hayes från California. And you brought the Californian sun to Stockholm. It's beautiful. We're very happy that you are here. So Andreas is not here today, but I will conduct this interview. Um, So welcome to Stockholm. Thank you. How are you? I'm I'm, I'm wonderful. It's it's my first time here. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing place. And I've met wonderful people. The weather is beautiful. And I can't wait for today. Wow. So... Tell us a little bit about yourself. So you have been working at Mayakamas for how many years now? So I've been working at Mayakamas since the middle or since the beginning of 2014. So two years? Yeah, two and a half, two and a half years or so at this point. Um, and I started there after the new owners had taken uh, taken over the winery. Um, it's a uh, a long history, but our, our history there is is, is reasonably short. Um, and I've lived in the Napa Valley for coming up on 10 years. It's a good and, place to live. <laughs> yeah, it's a great place to live. And uh, I've, I've been in the wine business for, for quite a while. So before you moved to Napa, so that's 10 years ago, where, where did you live then? I'm from New York, okay. um, born, and, born and raised just outside the city. And I'd been working in the restaurant industry in New York City for 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 uh, quite a while before that. So how did it start? What was your first job? <laughs> well, gosh, my first job. Uh, I think everybody has a everybody has a an interesting way to start in restaurants. I, I started, I guess, uh, if we go all the way back to the beginning, I started as a, a short order cook at a at a a, a pool like a like a a pool at a country club, <laughs> making you know tuna tuna melts and yeah. and uh, hamburgers and things like that. It was a summer job and it was a lot of fun. Um, but really, for for the the restaurant industry, uh, for me, it started when I was at college in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, I uh, quite honestly, I, I loved living in in New Orleans. It's a very fun city in the states, and uh, I, I wanted to. Uh, Get a little extra money to to buy beer when when I uh, <laughs> when I had some free time. So I started working um, as a, a back waiter, 
you know, kind of a busboy at uh, Emeril Lagasse's restaurant okay. called Delmonico. Um, good place to start. Yeah, a really good place to start. And, and I never expected that it would be something important that I was doing in my life, but it instantly set me on a track. And I knew after, after maybe a week working, serving bread and serving water, that that was what I wanted to do with my life. That's fantastic. Yeah. So after New Orleans, did you go back to New York? Um, I, I, I was on my way to New York, and, and, I, and I worked in New Orleans for a little while, and then I, and then I, I went to Colorado for uh, a couple of years and, and worked in, in uh, kind of a, an apprenticeship position there at a restaurant, um, not, uh, not in Aspen or in one of the, the big fancy towns, but in Colorado Springs, and then, uh, and then back to New York City. And my... Um, My arrival in New York City was uh, unremarkable. I, I tried my best to find a great place to work, and, and I, I remember I took out the the Zagat Guide back yeah. when it was actually a book, <laughs> and I looked at uh, I, I made notes in the book of every important, exciting place that I wanted to work, and I made a mark and I folded the pages down and dog-eared <laughs> the pages, and I and I I tried very hard to to get myself into some kind of exciting restaurant. And I started working, you know, I, I had very little experience. I mean, you know, not certainly in New York City, they, they look for people that have worked in New York City before. Yeah, sure. um, but I started working at a restaurant called Union Pacific, which was, you know, a New York Times three-star restaurant. It was a, a chef named Rocco Despirito who, you know, did some celebrity things, but also was a, was a pretty amazing chef. Um, and uh, this was his fine dining flagship restaurant. And I started working there, and I was a manager at the restaurant for a few years, and it was the first place that I ever really had the direct opportunity to, to work with wine. I'm, 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 a, I'm a very <laughs> persuasive individual, okay. and I'm the kind of guy that will sort of, if I need something to happen, I'm going to yeah. kind of poke you and poke you and poke you and say... That's yeah, a good yeah. way, very effective. Yeah, it, you know, it, it ultimately gets the job done. either really annoys people or it actually gets gets the job done, probably a little bit of both. So there was a, a guy there whose name was Fred Price, and he was the sommelier, kind of a classic New York guy. And, you know, he let me... Um, He let me start helping him with the wine just just a little bit, and and you know it's it's a very humble, very humble beginning. It was you know unpacking boxes and dusting off bottles and things like that, and um, but it's really kind of where it started. So you learned by doing, didn't? Yeah, very much so. I you know I've I I I, I you know I've I've never been one. Um, I've never been a great student, um, but I've I've uh, I've always been a, a good. Executor, and yeah. and for me, learning has been all about, you know, getting my hands dirty and 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 the practical element of of, do, of doing the work. Um, it's been my whole career has been that way. So how how long did you stay in New York then? So you worked. So after work? after after that um, start, um, uh, we sort of got information uh, in New York that Thomas Keller was coming, and. Uh, That was for me as a kind of a geeky restaurant guy. He he was my idol. Thomas Keller is coming. <laughs> yeah, Thomas Keller is coming to New York, and and it was um, you know it's it it was um, at this point it was then 2003 and per se ultimately opened in 2004, uh, the very beginning of 2004. But when I heard that Thomas was going to open a restaurant <laughs> in New York, for me it became sort of a singular 
mission. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, back, back to the idea of, of poking. poking I, I, uh, I sent my resume to the French Laundry twice a month for, I think, five or six months. I love that. Yeah. And I never, ever, ever got a phone call um, back uh, until... Gosh, just a couple days before the restaurant opened, before the training started. So um, I went in for interviews, and it was a long process, uh, talking to people, uh, meeting everyone. And ultimately, they said, um, well, what, what job would you like to do here at, <laughs> here at the restaurant? And I said, I'd like to be a sommelier. And they said... Uh, Basically, well, we'll give you a job as a back server. So, you know, I, 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 had, I had been, I, that's where I started. Yeah. And I had, at that point, been working in restaurants for, you know, probably four years or so, five years or something like that. And, and I had, you know, I was managing this, you know, prestigious restaurant in New York. And, um, and my answer to the question was, if you'd offered me a job as a dishwasher, I would have said, thank you very much, and I would have accepted it. Uh, I just wanted, you wanted in. I just wanted to work <laughs> for Thomas Keller because yeah. at, at that time in America, there was no one more important than than Thomas, and his, you know, he he was it was there was some mystique around him at that point mm -hmm. as well. He wasn't as established as he is now, and the French Laundry was was a restaurant I'd never gone to, and the um, the reputation was, you know, just it was absolutely. Uh, Sterling, and him deciding to open a restaurant like the French Laundry in New York, you know, where there's sure there's many many great restaurants in New York, but that was the most in, interesting and exciting and new thing that had happened in New York for a very very long time, and uh, it was just a remarkable experience. So I can imagine. I started uh, a couple days after the interview, and we trained for a very long time, and the restaurant was open for seven days or five days or something like that and then we had a fire that closed Ugh. the restaurant for months and that's, a, uh, that's such a sad story it's an you know, yeah. you know what it's 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 an amazing it was an amazing opportunity i think that we all need to find uh the good in things and sure you know it's if, if you look backwards obviously that's always uh you know the, the clearest vision but you know, you open a restaurant you've spent millions and millions of dollars to to get it ready and make it perfect Working actually in the space for five days will prove to you, will prove out all of these things that you didn't do right. Yeah. It's not because you're not smart or it's not because you, you're not prepared, but practical life gets in the way sometimes. So we had this amazing practice period, and then we, we realized that, you know, gosh, the restaurant's going to be closed for a long time. And a lot of things changed during that, during that closure that hadn't that wouldn't have changed had it had the fire not so for happened. the better in for some the, for the cases better. yeah exactly so it was uh kind of the one of the greatest soft openings <laughs> in, in the world because then you had a chance to go back and sort of fix the restaurant yeah. after after the restaurant uh, had opened it was an amazing experience per, per se was at that time i don't know that there's a more there was a more exciting restaurant anywhere you know probably in the world so you started in 03 and how long were you there for so i was at per se for um Four and a half years. Four and a half years. So the first, from you know, from op from before opening day, uh, for the first four and a half years, the restaurant was open. And 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 as as I, <laughs> as I uh, like to do, I I needed to get to you know to the place that I wanted to be professionally at per se. Yep. And I started as a back server and and uh, 
through my poking and through my work, I, I, uh, I became a captain, and then I became a sommelier, and then I became the maitre d', and then I became the chef sommelier. And, uh, and ultimately, after four and a half years, I only left, per se, to go to California to be the corporate wine director for the restaurant group. So um, it, was, it was an ascent, and yeah. it took a lot of time and effort and hard work, but it's the sort of company where good work brings you places. And that's the kind of companies you want to work for, where you can evolve. And uh, well, yeah, I think so. I think that I think that um, my father, who's a person I have a, a lot of respect for, uh, who was a, a businessman. He was in publishing and magazines. You know, he worked for uh, one company for almost 40 years. And I remember uh, the advice that he gave me at, at that time was, you know, I I, I asked him, uh, you know, there's this great company that I want to work for, and it's you know, it's it's the it's the best restaurateur in America, and, and uh, but the job is not that interesting. I'm going to be a back server again. And he said, uh, he said, uh, don't choose the job, choose the organization, because yeah. the organization will take you, if it's a good one, where you need to go. And uh, it really, he was, he couldn't have been more right. Wise words. Yeah, very wise words. So then you moved to California to work for the whole yep. restaurant mm -hmm. company. Yep. So my mentor was uh, a. Uh, his name is Paul Roberts, and he's a master sommelier. He's one of re really one of the one of the the great people in wine in America. Um, he now works for Colgan Cellars, and uh, Paul had been the wine director for the company, and he was you know he had set everything up at per se, and uh, and then ultimately he left the company to go work uh, before he was at Colgan. He was at uh, Harlan, and he uh, good places. <laughs> yeah, he, he likes to, he likes to go to the, to, the, to the best places. Yeah, um, and. Uh, so it was uh, there was a void to fill, and and, and man, I, I mean, per se, was an incredible, incredible place to work, and you know maybe the only thing I would ever change about my job and my career is is going back and, and, and working there longer just because I liked it so much. Yeah, sure. But uh, he uh, he opened uh, when he left it opened a, opened a void that was just too compelling to fill. To be invited to the Napa Valley to work and affect all the restaurants in the group was, you know, I couldn't say no to that. So we packed up, and my wife, who is uh, is as much of a New Yorker as anyone I've ever <laughs> met in my life, yeah. uh, moved to California. And she uh, she was 37 when we moved out there, and she'd never driven a car in her entire life. And I made the bad <laughs> Big mistake. change. She made the bad mistake of trying to teach her how to drive a car, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend to anyone. They ever try to teach their spouse anything as important as driving a car. But, mm -hmm. yeah, we went west, and, uh, and I, I miss everything about New York except living there. Um, uh, it was uh, it was very hard to leave per se, but then you know it, it had it had been a long time dream to go and and be at the French Laundry and be a part of the French Laundry, which is you know such an important restaurant for American cuisine in general. And uh, yeah, sure enough, snap your fingers and <laughs> drive across the country, and you're there. Yeah, and Mayakamas is an amazing estate, an amazing place <clears throat> to be at yep. as well. Yep. Can you tell us a little? bit about the vineyards and a little bit about the history of Mycamas? Sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, choosing choosing great organizations is uh, has, has always been a theme and, and, and the, the only other thing I've done between Thomas Keller and uh, Mycamas was uh, working for an estate called the Araujo Estate. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, it's really truly one of the great Cabernets in America and one of the great ter you know terroirs for Cabernet anywhere probably in the world. Uh, the Isley Vineyard, and I started working there after uh, my wife and I started our family, and and the only reason I left restaurants was really to be, you know, home more, and uh, 
and worked with the Isley Vineyard in Araujo for three and a half years, and then that property sold. <clears throat> Nearly at the same moment that Maya Camas had yeah. sold to a new owner right in the middle of 2013. And um, the opportunity to work at Maya Camas was, gosh, you know, it, it's just one of the most amazing properties and stories in California, and it had been, it was at the end of a cycle. And yeah. the, the, the person that had owned the property for almost 50 years, his name was Bob Travers. And Bob was, you know, he is, is a legendary winemaker. He's one of the really most important unsung heroes of winemaking in America. He, he was the vigneron at Mayacamas for 45 straight vintages. And yeah. it was, you know, he, from the time <laughs> he was 30 until the time he was 75, it yeah. was his life's work. And you know, unapologetically traditional winemaker, you know, very early harvest, you know, very, uh, very uh, firm mountain wines. And, and, you know, through the periods of time in the 90s and 2000s when Napa wine became all about ripeness and richness and, you know, sort of... Uh, chasing the bricks. <laughs> chasing, yeah, chasing the bricks and chasing the points. He, he didn't, he didn't, I don't know if he didn't get the message that that was what was happening. <laughs> My compass is so hidden. It's just too far away. It is very far away. <laughs> or maybe he just didn't care. Um, but he always made his wine the way that he made it. And mm. because it, ironically, I guess you'd say, never evolved, it has become totally unique. And in Napa Valley, there's, gosh, there's so many amazing properties, but there's nothing else like Maya Camas. There's, <clears throat> it's 500 acres. Excuse me. <laughs> on the top of a mountain and the history is unparalleled and, and to, to be able to come into this thing and be a part of its rejuvenation and to take it to the next and you know arguably most important period in its life, it's 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 like a fairy tale. I mean it's it's a fantasy. I pinch myself all the time and every <laughs> one of us that work there yeah. do the same thing. It's it is truly one of the most important stories in the Napa Valley in the history of California and American wine. And, uh, you know, to, to, put my, to put my name on a list, you know, along with Charles and uh, his partners, the owners, and Andy Erickson, the winemaker, to put our name on a list with Bob Travers, sure, but uh, the people that owned it before Bob Travers, the Taylor family. Bob Sessions was the winemaker f through the late 60s and early 70s. Philip Tony was the winemaker there. Yeah. And Bruce Nyers, incredible people that, that are, are icons in our industry and people that I, you know, long before I started working at Mayacomas, you know, considered heroes. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable, you know, to, to, to be, to be carrying on their legacy. Yeah. yeah. So... Tell us a little bit about the change sure. that's been going on. So, years. sorry, you're, that was a long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> Tell us a little I bit love about the, the long vineyard, answers. which I didn't, which I didn't actually say anything <laughs> about. So, it's it is it is a, a 475, 80-acre parcel uh, on the top of Mount Veeder. Um, it has about 50 acres of vineyard. Um, so, Mount Veeder, if you would locate it on the Napa sure. Valley map. Yep. So it's it's the most uh, southwest appellation in Napa. Yep. So we're in the Mayacamas Mountains, which are on the western side of the valley. Um, but it's the first mountain in the range. Yep. So it's just above the city of Napa. Um, if you border, if you look uh, uh, 
south, we're bordered by Carneros. West, the town of Sonoma. East, the town of Napa. Yeah. And uh, um, <clears throat> it's uh, it's um, very high elevation, so it, it's from you know about 600 meters at the lowest. No fog. Uh, elevation <laughs> to 800 meters. Yeah, we're above every every morning. We're above the fog, um, and it, it makes for an interesting climate for for growing grapes. We don't have the sort of hot, long sun that they have in some of the other Appalachians in in the valley farther north, like say in Elena, Calistoga, Oakville, where where we're much more marginal climate. Uh, so it's warmer in the mornings, which is nice, but then most of the day it's cooler and. Um, it makes for a makes for a long growing season. Uh, so, the wines from Mount Vitor in general are are kind of, you know, if if people like sexy Napa wine, Mount Vitor's of, of all the Appalachians in the valley, probably the the last place you'd like to go make <laughs> that kind of wine. It's cool. We have wines that are yeah. driven by acidity and wines that have very firm mountain tannins, and and and, you know, mountain wines are always known to be rugged. But we're like a cool mountain, so we're sort of rugged and lean and, and very, very classic in style uh, for an Appalachian. Um, and uh, you know, the, one of the great things about Mayakam is that, that I've always loved about the wine is that it really celebrates the Appalachian. It doesn't try to fit a popular style. It doesn't try to fit you know, the average consumer's expectation of what an Napa Valley wine is. It is a wine of its place, and obviously that's sort of a simple idea for wine, but it's a really important one. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So with the new owners, what was their goal and aim? They wanted to change... Not change the wine, obviously, but make it better, Yeah, I guess. I think that that's the most simple and important idea of, of, of what, you know, what the future holds and what the last three years have held for Mayakamas. It's, uh, 
there's a, there's a story that's that that is so much longer than any of us. I mean, Mayakam was founded in 1889. It's 130 years almost at this point, and we don't want to be the ones that come in and change everything about the style, change everything about the place, uh, to, to sort of reduce it down to a simple idea that's, that's a you know, powerful and important one for us, is we want to do the same thing better. So the three years has been busy uh, at Mayakamas. We inherited a place that was you know, starting to be in need of some, uh, how do we say it? A lift, uh, yeah, a little facelift, <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it had it had it had not seen a lot of investment for a few decades yeah. before we got there. So the wines were always great; the wines were you know were always the focus, but there was a lot of opportunity for us to to improve the place, improve the um, facilities, and and ultimately the the wine that comes from those facilities. So it was a lot of restoration. Uh, of the grounds uh, of the winery, but it wasn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it was a renovation. I wouldn't say a lot changed. We've we've really tried to you know take every tool from the past, whether it's you know these old cinder block cement fermenters from the 1950s or the old winery from the 19th century. You know we're not we're not trying to make these uh, sort of part of the past. We want them to be a part of the future. So we've done everything we can to fix them up and make them make them usable uh, again and uh, it's been it's been a great it's been a great success so we like the style of the wines um, it is you know kind of like I said they're, they're classic mountain wines they're they're not um, they're not uh, super dark super fleshy Napa cabs like people understand they're, they're they're very much like wines from the old world I think mm. they're they're higher in acidity they're firm tannins they age for decades and decades and Everything we've done with this restoration, renovation of the winery is is designed to be able to make that same kind of wine more consistently on into the future. And our winemaker Andy Erickson is is uh, is, a, is a magician, you know, in in the cellar, and he has achieved the goal. I mean, can you tell me a little bit about Andy? Yeah, sure. Andy Andy is um, you know is is a is a is a very close friend of mine. And uh, a winemaker who, at this point, I think you know, it would be hard to argue there. There are many <laughs> people that are more, uh, more uh, successful in the Napa Valley uh, than than Andy. He he's technically he's a consultant for us, and he's a consultant for a few other wineries as well. Currently, it's Dalavale, another one of my favorite properties yeah. in Napa. Ovid, uh, Arietta. Uh, he makes his own family wine called Favia. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Beautiful one called Leviathan as well. And Andy is um, Andy has worked with our owner, Charles Banks, um, for many, many years on different projects around around the, the world, really, when uh, Charles uh, uh, is, is well known for being the guy that, with a partner, bought Screaming Eagle from uh, Gene Phillips, right, the right. original founder, back in the mid two thousands, and Andy was the guy he hired to be the winemaker there. Um, so he's um, he makes modern Napa wines. But what I think is so great about Andy as a consultant who works at multiple properties is that he's very sensitive to the needs of the particular place. Okay. He's the guy you hire, I think, to tell your story 
not the guy you hire for his own story, if that makes any sense at all. It does. So when you taste Andy's wines from different properties, you can see very clear definition between them all. It's not an Andy wine. It's a really well-made wine from a very specific place. Dalavale tastes very different than Ovid, as they should, because they're from different places. And Maya Kamas, you know, is nothing like any of the wines that Andy has made or any of us have ever worked with before from a from a winemaking and style perspective and uh he's he's been he's proven he's proven his his uh, ability and talent by his uh flexibility with the style because everybody from day one has been saying we can't really change the style we don't want to change no. the style we just want to make these wines better and you know that's a really big in the winery, that's a huge difference in method from any of the other stuff that any of us have worked with before. So, if I've never tasted Mike Hamas uh, yeah. wines before, what should I expect, mm -hmm. both with the Chardonnay and the Cab? Yep. If I, uh, I think a lot of people have a view of what Napa is, tastes like, mm -hmm. but what what should I expect? Well, um, our Chardonnays are not buttery, oaky. Chardonnays. They're um, uh, crisp in style. They're rich. Obviously, Chardonnay should always be rich, but they're not rich because of winemaking or you know sort of add-ons in the cellar. Um, we have a beautiful. We have beautiful grapes that we get, and we just try our best to in, in interpret the place they come from, and the wine that results is. Is uh, is a pretty unique style. So they're 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 intense, uh, rich uh, Chardonnays. You know that are very floral. They're very driven by you know kind of pear flavors instead of apple flavors, and and they uh, they they sort of present more like old world Chardonnay, I think, on the palate than and age very well, right? They do. Yeah, yeah. I tried the O eight yesterday, and it was so pure and youthful. Yeah, it was in good shape. Mm. Um, so they're. One thing we hear a lot about our Chardonnay is that, you know, um, I hear people constantly say, oh, I don't like Chardonnay, but I like this. <laughs> and I like I like to hear yeah. that. That's exciting. So, I mean, the Cabernets are, you know, two-thirds of our production is Cabernet, and that's really the most important wine that we make. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, at dinner last night we had a lot of, you know, very classic Italian wines. And yep. And I think that Mayakamas Cabernet has a lot in common with really classic Italian wines and really classic uh, uh, French wines, more so than it does the typical modern Napa Valley Cabernet. So we don't pick the grapes when they're super ripe. Um, when do you usually pick? Yeah, usually um, the last couple of years we've had everything picked in uh, before September was over. Okay. Um, so there are people that pick all through October, and sometimes there are people that pick in, in November. Yeah. And uh, that isn't what happens at Mayakamas. We want we want the the flavors in our the, the flavors of classic Mayakamas wines are reflective of the earlier stages of ripeness for Cabernet. So it's not deep black flavors. They're they're red taut, you know, tangy, fresh flavors of Cabernet that are that are herbal and and uh, and that's that's what that's what we do. So that's that's one of the most important things about the wine is harvesting it very early. Um, 
and then you know the the resulting wine is 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 one that is you know it's an expression of of, of certainly the place, um, but also of, of our winemaking style. We we choose to do every you know this idea of uninterventionist winemaking is you know every choice whether it's to do something or to not do something is a choice, and you've 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 you are intervening with everything you do mm-hmm. or don't do. And you know our winemaking is is classic winemaking that's designed to produce wines that taste this way. Um, we choose to harvest early. We choose to ferment the wines quickly so that they're not super extracted and, and super sexy. And then when we age the wines, they're going into these truly incredible. This uh, the cellar that we work in is is from the nineteenth century. It's, it's this, a beautiful cellar. Yeah, it's, this is this is the problem with podcasts and videos. Yeah. <laughs> is that we can't show pictures or. or I might have some it. pictures have, I can post. Yeah. yeah, for sure. You've Good seen place. you've seen the place. Um, but the wines age for a long period of time in neutral, large format oak foudre. So six hundred. And that's gallons. not really common in Napa, right? No, not no. not not at all. It was it was we could back say it was day. common yeah. back in the sixties and the seventies, but it's not. It's it's basically something. It's a method that that the Napa Valley has moved away from um, almost completely uh, in lieu of sort of smaller, newer oak barrels. Sure. Um, from our perspective, we're harvesting grapes that aren't super ripe. They're not, they, they don't really benefit from the addition of new oak. New oak. It's kind of a, a battle, a flavor mm-hmm. battle. It's uh, something that we found in our, in our first vintage, 2013, as the winemakers. We did some experiments. We, you know, we, we didn't just start doing everything exactly the same way that the previous owner had been doing. We, we tested out some, some new stuff. And, okay. You know, it didn't really didn't really work. The idea of harvesting grapes early, when they aren't super ripe, and then putting them right into new oak barrels, like is pretty common in the Napa Valley, it it, it absolutely was unsuccessful. Um, so, we aged the wines for a long time in these in these beautiful neutral foudres that we inherited that have been there. You know, Mr. Travers, the owner before us, he inherited many of them from the previous owners. They've been there since the '40s. Some of some of them are from the 1920s. Um, and some just, redwood, or yeah, some are, yeah. You know, there's, a, there's a couple redwood vessels. A lot of them are American oak from you know food was produced in Ohio, and then there's a lot of French oak uh, from uh, aging vessels as well. So after after the wine spends a lot of time in in, uh, in neutral oak, uh, two years, we'll we'll do the assemblage. We'll, we'll blend the wine. All the components go together. We make the sort of the final the final blend, and then we'll put it into small oak barrels for a third year of wood aging, and that's where we can use a little bit of new new wood, and that's where it makes sense for us to use yeah. a little bit of new wood, but it's only about 10%. So, you know, if, if uh, a typical Cabernet from the Napa Valley is, you know, 50 to 100% new oak for two years, and that's pretty standard, I guess you'd say, we're, you know, three years of oak aging, but, you know, what it works out to is, is really less than less than 10%. New oak, so it's a pretty pretty pure expression. And you grow some Merlot as well. Yep, yep. We make a little bit of Merlot. It's um, it's uh, just at this point a few hundred cases, and and we're actually growing that production okay. in the future as well. It's it's uh, it's not the most popular grape in in America, um, thanks to 
<laughs> Thanks. Sorry, it's sideways. It's a good movie, movie yeah. still. We love so it. So many funny ironies in, yeah. in that movie about that <laughs> comment. But, um, it actually had a that had a huge effect on. That's so on, strange. Yeah, Merlot in America, but so so we inherited we inherited the winery with Merlot, Pinot Noir, and Sauvignon Blanc as part of the production, and, yeah. and we've decided not to continue Sauvignon Blanc and not to continue Pinot, and we thought really hard about making Merlot in the future, and you know, tasted all the wines back to the early '90s when they started making the wines, and uh, ultimately settled on the idea that it's really good and it's really unique. And there's nobody else in America that's making Merlot like this, period. So we decided to continue and, uh, and actually double down and, and make more of it in the future. It's a beautiful, beautiful wine. Obviously, Merlots are juicy and forward, and, yep. you know, that's what we love about good Merlot. Uh, but a lot of times from California, they don't have, they don't really resolve. They don't have good finish, firm, you know, acidity they don't they, they kind of they kind of lose it on the finish and they're a little bit flabby and fat and uh, one of the things that we love about the wine is that it is that it finishes very very strong and very pure and, and uh, really in uh, just sort of an intense mineral finish to it so it's it's a lot like Merlot that you'd find from Italy or France okay so today is 2010 yeah that is available in Sweden what how long should you wait for that wine if you if you need some like ballpark well, how many years <laughs> the uh we tasted that wine yesterday and it's, it's delicious um one of the great things about my commas is that you know if, if if you like our style of wine you know which which uh a lot of folks do you can drink it young i mean you can you can have it you can taste it uh and get a lot of pleasure from it now Um, but the other benefit is that it, it will seller for, and you know this isn't this isn't an exaggeration. This is based on the wines that we have from the seller from the past. We have we have a Cabernet vertical back to the mid 1960s. You know, good, good library, wines, good mm. library, and none of none of the wines from the late 60s on until the, the the current vintages I would say are close to too old to drink. I mean th these are these are wines that will sell her for 30, 40, 50 years. I mean mm -hmm. it's 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 almost effortless. It's part of the real benefit of making the wine that we make it. They'll 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 do an amazing job of aging in the cellar. And they don't just get older, they get better, which is which are two totally different things. That's very cool. Uh, thank you, Jimmy, uh, for having this conversation with me. I was actually flipping through your Instagram account yesterday, and oh. you're a great photographer. Oh, thank you. Is that another passion of yours? That's my secret. That's my, <laughs> that's my secret other life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I have, um, I have a, a complete addiction to my camera and uh, taking photographs of everything. Um, and uh, you know, one of the most fun things that I do in in my life is I've, I've figured out a way to sort of have have photography be, you know, a part of my professional life. So, you know, when I'm not up at the vineyard and I'm not, you know, conducting business in Stockholm for my yeah. Thomas, <laughs> or even sometimes when I am, I uh, 
I, uh, I'm, I'm shooting photographs and I, and I do a lot of photography for the wine industry, which, is, which has become just an amazing part of my life. You know, photojournalism, documenting harvests, documenting the year in the life of a winery is something that a lot of people in the Napa Valley need and are interested in. Yeah. And, and they're very uh, excited to have somebody help them do it that doesn't just understand what looks pretty, but actually understands what's happening in the cellar and the, the, the cool details of harvest, not just the, the sort of, you know, pretty imagery that comes from it, but actually the process. So. So if our listeners want to see your photos, where can they do that? Well, uh, Instagram, <laughs> which is, which is uh, uh, probably where the most photographs are, is Too Many Jimmies, T-O-O, <laughs> Many Jimmies. We're all named Jimmy in my family. There's a lot of Jimmies. Yeah. I was thinking <laughs> Jimmy Hayes, and you know there's an ice hockey player mm -hmm. also. Yeah, a good one. Yeah, exactly. sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I tell people that's me, but they, 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 and, then my, my, yeah, and then my my photograph or my uh, my website is jbhphoto.co. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, and Beatrice. cheers. Yeah, cheers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.